live. Hi, Marcy. Hey, John. How's it going? Oh, you know, still living in the times of Corona. I heard a rumor that you just cheated on me and finished recording a separate episode of Pop Culture Theologians. Is that true? Um, Like the topic um, that we discussed, and like my Shiro Carol Baskins, you will never find the body. (laughs) Uh, We're super excited to announce that we're going to have a little bit of, is it one episode or is it multiple? Just one special episode. Special episode of John with, with some guest pop culture theologians coming out for you really soon on Tiger King, which we were super excited to talk about last week. Murder, madness, and mayhem. I'm surprised meth wasn't in there. Oh, boy. All, all <laughs> the M's. All the M's. Boy. Welcome back, pop culture theologians. We're so glad that you're with us again for another uh, discussion of Marcy and I breaking down Westworld. Uh, we want to give a quick shout out to our host website, The Engaged Gaze, um, and make sure you're following us on Twitter at Pop Theologians, as well as on Facebook. I live tweeted the episode, and I think it was some of my best live tweeting I've ever done um, when I watched it. So uh, this is a doozy of an episode. Mars. There's a lot in this episode. Um, I've watched it three times, <laughs> which I'm. If my brother, like, if my brother's listening, he's like, you shouldn't have to watch a show three times. Um, but that's what I maybe love about the show. Um, but yes, this episode is full of tiny details um, that, when you start to put them all together, we are starting to get a better picture of where this season is going. Um, so super excited to break down this episode. I know. But before we get to that, Marcy, what the fuck happened this week? John, before what the fuck happened this week, can you just tell me how I can find you on social? Because that's my favorite part of the whole week. Um, so listeners, um, I am trying to explore changing my Twitter handle. However, exotic John. To Exotic John. Yes, as me running for office, I'm going to change it to Exotic John. Vote for me. Um, uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at jerickson85, which Marcy, what is that defined by as you, for you? So basic, but I don't really get to make fun of you because I've had my my Twitter handle for far too long as well. Everyone, you can find me on Twitter on, and on Instagram, actually, at I am the men who can. Um, you can also find my very famous little dogs uh, on Instagram at Three Little Direwolves. Um, but we're pretty active, and with coronavirus, what what else are we supposed to do during the week? Honestly, Not much. honestly, Besides I'm work. so glad I joined TikTok before the Rona hit, so that I have something to mindlessly scroll for 24 hours a day. Yeah, I mean, so. you know. <laughs> What a time to be alive. So what the fuck happened this week? Um, I don't know, John, because all my days are melding into one. Um, It's really fucking weird. Like, I don't, I really have no concept of time right now. Um, Is it? We're still in fucking March. Like, I March has been the longest year ever. Honestly, I feel like I've had like eight turns around the sun in March. This is by far, like the longest 
year of my life. Um, yeah, no, I can't believe March having 31 days right now feels like a hate crime. Like we've been through enough. I feel personally attacked by March. I know. It's just, dear God, I, I honestly, this is how much I don't know what's going on in the world. Um, for listeners, I got a new puppy in, um, in February and I literally thought she was turning five months tomorrow and she's only four. Um, it's just, I've completely lost track of time. And also she's like twice the size we expected her to be. So, um, but in regards yeah. to what's happening this week, we are still living through the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. Um, Thanks, and Trump. my state continues to be a complete clusterfuck. And where is it that you live again, Marcy? Down in Homestead, Florida. Homestead, Florida. What's else in Homestead, Florida? Tiger King gets its own episode with Homestead, Florida. Um, Yes, I'm in Homestead. I'm in Florida, a state that is either playing the long game for ventilators or actively trying to kill us all. So my governor, um, DeSantis, is refusing to still order a shelter-in-place order for the state which makes absolutely no sense. Um, we are, you know, one of the biggest ports in the entire world for cruise ships where we're all the, the spring breakers, spring breaked id, whatever that word is, where we're all the New Yorkers have come down to avoid being stuck in New York. Um, and yet we're refusing to even close beaches. There's like really jarring pictures that show like counties where the beach is closed coming up against the counties that are not closed and there's like a hundred people on that beach. Um, and that's Florida life right now. Like, um, I joke around about the long game because maybe DeSantis's goal for Florida is that by us getting on our knees to Donald Trump, when we need 10,000 ventilators next week, he'll shoot them over because we didn't hurt his very fragile man ego. Um, but it's like very, it's really kind of disconcerting that like, um, I know how difficult it is for folks in places where the shelter in place orders are, are still standing, but I would counter that it's even scarier to be somewhere where it isn't. Yeah. Um, because that means like we are not at all actively trying to flatten the curve. Like um, our data is entirely skewed because our state isn't testing like nine out of 10 folks. So even if you're presumed corona positive, unless you're in massive distress, and came in contact with someone from Wuhan in Florida, like, they're not gonna, like, they're not even gonna test you. Um, so our numbers from Florida are really misleading. Um, but on the plus side, the mayor of Florida who has coronavirus, um, <laughs> this morning in a press conference, uh, quoted Pitbull. So I feel really I feel- safe now. Yeah, me too. Like that is probably one of the most Florida experiences I've ever had. So that combined with Tiger King last week, um, I was telling John, I feel so bold in both my like frantic need to fill time during this like time and my boredom that I'm going to dress up as Carol Baskins in my next Zoom call for a staff meeting because what else am I going to do? And my response was, I just don't understand why you already weren't doing that. Right. I should always have been dressing up as someone for my staff meeting. So So um, speaking of other idiotic people. Right. Uh, New York folks, I don't know what's up with y'all because 
it's y'all are the epicenter of COVID-19 in the U.S. Um, and I would say overwhelmingly y'all are doing a great job. Uh, massive applause for your nurses and doctors and for nurses and doctors everywhere. And yet when a medical ship comes to port in New York, like hundreds of people flocked out to see it. And I'm like, that is counterproductive to why that ship is there in the first place. I don't stay care. home. Stay home. Your Wash your hands. Home is where your ass should be. Like, what is happening? What What is happening? Come on. I don't. I, I don't get it. I saw some people on Instagram and they were posting it. They were really far away from anyone else, but still, girl, stay still, home. Like, stay home. Like that curve is not going to flatten until we all stay home. Uh, and honestly, like there were going to be pictures of the medical ship. Uh, like I, I just, I don't get it, but also I, you know, New Yorkers have been sheltering in place longer than any of us. So I don't want to presume what my mental state's going to be a week from now. So mm-hmm. um, who knows? Because <laughs> No one knows. Why. We had a medical ship and you didn't see a whole bunch of dingbats coming out here in Los Angeles port being like, look, a ship, a ship. Dingbats. The Wisconsin in you sometimes really catches me off guard. It's just like, also like, <laughs> Like, do you really need to see a ship that bad? Right. I mean, it'd be one thing if they were like sailors. Like, I get it. But like, mm-hmm. it's a medical ship, man. It's just got a little red cross on it. Like, I mean, you'll Marcy's be brother isn't coming off that ship. So I don't know why I'm going, <laughs> not going. Why, uh, what else do I got to see? <laughs> Shout out to my brother, one of our AJP. listeners. <laughs> um, and the last thing is really honestly nothing and everything is happening this week. So instead, we were just going to kind of do a rewind of what we've been watching and reading to keep ourselves occupied when we are not actively working from home, which is what I have to say if my HR is listening. Um, what have you been watching and reading during... Um, so I'm reading um, good friend of Marcy and I's uh, novel um, in its uh, draft form called Blue by Dr. Marie Cartier. It's an incredible novel that will be coming out. Um, so I'm kind of reading that before bed. I'm going to, I have a whole bunch of other books I'm trying to read. I'm actually really tired by the time I go to bed every night. Um, so I'm actually just falling right asleep. Um, and then I'm also like just really wondering how many times is too many times that you can rewatch the Lord of the Rings. But that's a question I've asked myself even when we weren't sheltering in place. Um, and then I'm also just playing video games. Like that's really what I'm doing. It's keeping my, my, my brain busy and, and, you know, everything that it needs to be. So I'm not thinking about the insanity of the world. What about you, Mars? So I am not reading, which is weird. Um, I mean, I, I've, reading is one of the like things I love to do. Um, but I'm struggling with focusing, um, which someone explained to me that I think makes sense and for listeners. So when you're going through a traumatic event, um, you either have fight, flight, or freeze, right? Um, so unless you're a medical professional or one of our frontline responders, fight and flight are kind of not on the table for us, right? So the trauma response for, for COVID for a lot of us is freeze, um, which is why when everyone's like, ooh, super productivity, time to write your great novel, and all of us are like, I have not moved in 12 hours. Um, it's really natural. So like, I have been playing a lot of audiobooks um, so that like, I can kind of drift in and out if I fall asleep. Um, and that's been great. And I try to only listen to audiobooks that I've already read as a book. 
so that I don't feel like I missed out because then I'm like, wait, where did I fall asleep at? Um, so I've actually been, and you're going to hate me for this. I've been re-listening to Game of Thrones, the audiobooks. That's okay. Um, the books are fine. Right. Because uh, we will a, never, we're ever never get, get the final two. Um, well, we're never going to get the final two, but we reiterate every episode. We will never, ever forgive, forgive what the they did to us. assassination. <laughs> ever. If you're ever listening, David Benahoff and Weiss or whatever the fuck your name is, are, I will never forgive you. You butchered. <laughs> one of my favorite characters on television ever. And yes, maybe the signs were there that she was a psychotic dictator, but hey, how dare you? Nuance. How, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, how dare you? Are you still upset about it, Sean? No. No. <laughs> so I've been listening to the Game of Thrones audiobooks, which is, they're really great. The narrator's great. Um, watching, I've been going between two very different things. Uh, the first one is Shaws of Sunset is having a fire season on Bravo and I'm living for drama that is not my own and that is pre-COVID. Um, so much love to Shaws of Sunset. Um, I love all of the trash TV on Bravo and it actually does make me feel better when I'm super stressed. Um, and then on a more serious note, I stumbled onto Unorthodox on Netflix um, which focuses on a young woman in an Orthodox Jewish community in Williamsburg and her kind of very like brave exit out of that Orthodox world. Um, it's beautifully shot. It's four episodes. Um, it's partially in Yiddish, in English, and in um, German. It's stunning to watch. Um, it I think it really honestly has a lot for anyone. Like you don't have to have a background in Judaism or in having been in a cult or escaping a cult, <laughs> but um, it's just the story of kind of like human perseverance and like how far are you willing to go to fight for yourself? Um, and like, what are you willing to give up to do that? And, um, and so great, great four, four episode mini series on Netflix. I definitely recommend it. So, oi, 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 oi is right. <laughs> I actually did not purposely mean that. <laughs> I just say that all the time. Oi, so here we go. <laughs> well, shall we? Let's do it. All right. So, we are on episode three of Westworld. Um, this episode is titled The Absence of Field. Um, John, can you break down that title a bit for me? Yeah. I mean, like we were both really racking our brains on this, right? <laughs> uh, like, what does this mean? And so, I mean, and th on the interwebs, it's all, it's a, it's a poem, um, by Mark Strand, but something that I think kind of discusses and breaks down a little bit better is kind of the description that I found is that, um, when we think about it this way, when we're standing in a field, we're occupying like a particular space that our body takes up and like no more or no less. And where our body is, the field can't be since two things can't occupy the same space at the same time. And I think this is a great way in which we examine the main kind of character throughout the show that's being broken down as right. Charlotte Hale. This is a Charlotte-centered episode, pretty much. And, and Tessa Thompson deserves an Emmy. She's amazing. Um, we stand. She, 
we stand, I stand her and her girlfriend. Um, yes, so this is a, a Charlotte-centered episode. Um, though I would say this is a we don't know who the fuck it is centered episode. So this season, one of the biggest questions we've had so far is who is in Charlotte's head? Like who is the host inside? What pearl was dropped in that head, right? Um, John, when you and I talked, you and I both at first kind of thought maybe Clementine. Um, yeah, the innocence about it kind of. There was an innocence to those first scenes with Dolores where I was like, that reads to me like first Clementine. Um, second Clementine wasn't as kind of like broken doll-ish. Um, but yeah, we both were like, that could totally be Clementine. But then as some of their dialogue kind of goes through the episode, you and I both thought maybe Teddy. Yeah, I if I had to place a bet, I would think it's Teddy. Okay. Um, I would say I'm with you other than my understanding of the end of episode, the final episode of season two was that we sent Teddy to the world, the the land beyond, the world beyond, to heaven. We sent him to like coding heaven. Robot heaven. Robot heaven. Um, but that doesn't really mean anything. When I think about it, um, in regards to the Westworld, so from a sentimental place, I'd like to settle into it being Teddy. Um, but there's a part of me where, like, it just doesn't feel right because this show doesn't particularly do sentimentality. And also, they literally bludgeon to death the Teddy and Dolores relationship in season two. Like... So, like, it's weird. I, like, I don't feel like they ended on good terms. <laughs> so, yeah, when you kind of kill the love of your life, you don't usually. Right, like, I just feel life. like you maybe don't come back from it. Yeah, So unless you're I've Carol seen, Baskins. Unless you're Carol Baskins. <laughs> um, I've seen some thoughts that maybe it's, like, Abernathy. It's her dad, Peter Abernathy. Um, and then one of the things that's kind of floating around that I was like, that's an interesting kind of thought. And does actually feel more Westworld is we know that like in season two, Dolores was struggling with having this Wyatt character kind of at the same time as Dolores, Dolores, Wyatt, Wyatt, Dolores. Um, So perhaps she was able to extrapolate the Wyatt part into a separate Pearl. So she's, Charlotte may actually be another Dolores, like a different version of Dolores, a heightened Wyatt version of Dolores. Maybe. Um, And that would explain why she's showing her so much compassion uh, because we haven't really seen Dolores hand that out very freely. And um, aside from Teddy, I can't remember her, Teddy and her dad, I can't remember her being that tender with anyone. So... Yeah, so I just I love how they play on the gender and sexuality aspect there's here a too. Lot, there's a lot there to dig into in regards to um, our bodies and how um, like how we are and are not our bodies, right? And like what it means to like take a step back from like our understanding of like. I am my body, my body is me. Um, In particular, when we get to 
to the narrative of this episode, which is Charlotte's really struggling in this body. Yeah. Um, it, like she doesn't feel like it's hers. She doesn't feel like, um, and not because I, I never got the sense that it's because it's the wrong gender or it's like anything like that, but because it's not mine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think the way in which like, you know, Charlotte struggles with this, you know, we really see it throughout the episode through self-harm. Um, but, you know, like when she's looking into the mirror and she says she tried to kill all of us or Dolores telling Charlotte that she trusts her and that this is why she needs to be Charlotte for now and, you know, infiltrate Delios because that's ultimately what, she, you know, a part of the end game that Dolores is trying to do here right and then you know like the ways in which she lets Charlotte into her plan is is just so fascinating because I, I it feels like because Charlotte's trying to harm herself um is herself trying to rebel against Dolores and get out I mean just the ways in which all of these narratives are trying to form around like the body can't be in the same place as where the soul aka her pearl is and that's kind of goes back to the title of the episode one cannot exist while the other one is in that same place you can't occupy the same place at the same time because if you did it would be like your soul like if it was the regular charlotte hale in the first or second season it's her soul quote unquote in her actual body right now you have two different things that are in conflict with each other right Right. Um, and we, we do get a glimpse that there's three more host pearls and then Bernard. So we know that there's Dolores, there's um, the Sean Connery dude that's infiltrating Insight, these three pearls, and then Bernard. Yeah. Um, and whoever and she put in the Sean Connery person. Whoever she put in the Sean Connery person, right. Um, so the same questions we have for Charlotte, we have for, um, the, the insight, um, Sean Connery, but she tells Charlotte, like, look, you're struggling, but you need to go back to Delos before anyone knows you're gone. And then Charlotte asks Dolores, well, where am I going? And Dolores says home. Um, and I think that's important to note that, um, I guess like Westworld and Delos is fundamentally home for Dolores. Um, and, and that makes me wonder what the end game is. Like, what would make Dolores happy? Like, is it ending back, ending up back at Westworld, but with free will? Is it, what is it? You know? Mm -hmm. And we are getting little clues here and there. I mean, if you caught the glimpse of Charlotte seeing the robots, those big, like, uh, riot police robots that they have. Um, and the and she, Transformers. The Transformers. But what she says is she goes, because they didn't really have a quote-unquote use for them yet because the buyer um, wasn't, like, cooperating. And she says something to the, to the point of, like, I think we'll find a use for them. So they're definitely a part of Dolores's and Charlotte as a pawn's master plan. Right, right. Um, so Charlotte, when she goes to Delos, she, the, her assistant Irene um, shows her these like Transformer riot police and like, and then she lets her in on what I think is the biggest kind of like secret that is revealed in this episode, which is that over the last couple of years, there's been like small microtransactions that have been coming out of Delos. And those microtransactions have all added up effectively to someone buying them out. 
Yeah. Um, it's like a hostile takeover. Literally. Like a hostile takeover, um, which uh, obviously Charlotte, uh, Charlotte in air quotes, um, would report back to Dolores. Mm-hmm. And um, when she does, Dolores is really uh, triggered by this because it shows that like the end game is like a foot and that someone's trying to find a way to kind of almost counteract what she's doing or take control right. from her. And I do think we have to be very consciously aware that like we might be working on a bunch of different timelines. Um, everything from the like arrival type shot at the beginning that shows us like the coordinates in time and where we are to the way that this is shot makes me think we are actually again looking potentially at different timelines um which i mean that doesn't i know for a lot of folks that was one of the frustrating things about westworld i think it makes it interesting if it's pulled off um so and i think they're doing a great job this season with the time puzzles the first season the big plot point which drove a lot of people off was like well where are we when are we right and i think what they're doing this year this season with these vignettes or with specifically drawing down to specific characters Maeve, bernard caleb and then Dolores specifically and how these people play under them and their subplots is is being done very well at the moment Right, right. So then we technically, I wouldn't call it go back in time, but we get the flashback to Caleb um, helping Dolores out of that, um, like underneath that bridge in the first episode. Um, So he tries to get her medical help after she's been shot um, and she sent off the Sean Connery. um, And then as he calls like an EMT, um, we do get alerted that like, um, triaging folks is done initially by a computer. So I think that gives us a snapshot into that world of how much has been handed over to computers, right? So like mm-hmm. the the technology would assess and triage you first. And my guess is that's a very strange triage when they figure out that Dolores is not a human. Um, like she has no platelets. There's like <laughs> nothing in here. Um, but then some police, air quotes again, stop them and like Caleb like and like the perfect ally that you would want is like show me your fucking like badge like i don't think so and calls their bluff aka these are probably folks um from insight or from within the realm of this like larger battle that we're kind of setting up looking for dolores um and caleb stands up to them and then dolores also helps uh, and manages to manage a shootout while she's still hypothetically, I guess, like bleeding out, yeah. uh, crawl her way out of the ambulance into the fake cop car, uh, commandeer that car, um, and then tells Caleb, she asks him what his name is, and he's like, Caleb, whatever. And she's like, yo, you need a new name. And he's like, who are you? And she goes, the less you know about me, the better. Um, and that's where we leave Caleb off with Dolores. So kind of a knight in shining armor moment, and then she runs away. Because that's who Caleb is. And that's who Dolores is, right? Um, it would make a lot more sense to kill Caleb, I think, uh, and she doesn't. Um, she's obviously got a bit of a, like, something's holding her back. There's a soft spot there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but back to Charlotte. Oh, um, we love Charlotte. Love her. 
Um, but so she finds out that the person that is like buying um, basically Delos uh, De out is pretty much invisible, but we understand and get the name Ciroc. Uh, Which is we, who we met at the end of of episode two. Yep. Um, the, the, the man making a proposition to Maeve. Yeah, the sexy Frenchman. Um, his name uh Ciroc, and we find out from her assistant Irene, who alerted her of these like micro trans transactions. Um, but the piece about this is there's like the larger main narrative about what really Dolores' endgame is. But what we really are focusing on is is Charlotte really struggling with being Charlotte um and her attempt to self-harm multiple times during the episode. Um is triggering for a lot of people who obviously do and have engaged in self-harm. I want to recognize that. Yeah, um, I thought it was a, a pretty kind of triggering episode for anyone who has struggled with like um, like an out-of-body kind of trauma response. And, yeah. and obviously self-harm is also a trauma response. Um, so it's weird because it's like we have two parallel and again this is why i'm like i think we're working on multiple timelines um we have two parallel um narratives with charlotte that are happening simultaneously that don't particularly match up for me which is we have this narrative of charlotte finding out about Rock and her dealings with um with insight and the system and whatnot happening simultaneously at the same time where charlotte seems to be very kind of like small and hurt and not understanding what's going on around her and like she's self-harming um like from a from a viewer standpoint it's a little jarring going back and forth um almost like whiplashy where it's like we get a very strong version of charlotte in one scene and the next scene she's like digging at her arm like like cutting herself and like begging Dolores to tell her like this doesn't have to go on for much longer um so that's just kind of my take like it it does feel whiplashy and um and it does feel triggering for anyone who has kind of struggled with like any type of dysmorphia with their body so yeah and what we really ultimately see too is that Charlotte's really struggling to live whoever's in Charlotte's body is really struggling right. to live as Charlotte and get back those memories. And we find out Chernaldo. that Charnaldo. Yeah. I mean, we find out that Charlotte's marriage or lack thereof was a mess before her quote unquote death. Um, and her ex-husband thinks she's a bad mom. Her son doesn't recognize her sometimes. I mean, the storyline with her son is fascinating. And the reason why, if we had to, guess if maybe um uh clementine was in her body was the scene with her and that man at the park with her son because of how the progression of clementine's story came about as being a passive person people raped her people abused her and then ultimately how she took that power back and like killed everyone when in the parks um and so we we really find out that this is a pattern that's really maybe triggering her in many ways and um, it's funny that you read that as clementine because i was like that narrative fits for teddy because teddy just wanted a, a simple family life like he just wanted to protect dolores like he didn't want to be a superhero he just wanted to protect his loved ones and live like this normal life and like maybe. i kept thinking that the narrative of like a, a son would resonate with with teddy um 
quite a bit, but I also think it would resonate with Abernathy. Um, I struggle with the idea if, 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 if there's another version of Dolores in Charlotte, right? If we've got double Doloreses, if the Dolores that is in Charlotte is going to make, be made better through motherhood, um, we go back to the same problem I had with Maeve, which is the narrative that motherhood is kind of what saves a person. Um, by all means, motherhood can save a person and is a, is a wonderful thing for anyone who chooses it. But it's like, from a narrative perspective, um, I struggle with the idea that Charlotte and her son's storyline, if it is Dolores, somehow the son is what is slowly but steadily redeeming the fibers of Dolores. Like, I, I, I don't like that. Um, I do like that the son seems to have like an unsettling understanding that this Charlotte in front of him is not his mom. Like, it felt very like us, where like, um, Lupita Nyong'o's son in the movie is like, I don't, I don't know if you're actually the right one anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's ultimately how Charlotte continues to try to be Charlotte is she's, she measures this up via her son. Yeah. Yeah. The, the son is clearly, um, for lack of a better term, the cornerstone, right? And we saw that in season one with Bernard, his son was his cornerstone. Like that's kind of what he built his entire ad- identity around. Um, so, so Westworld loves to, uh, to center people around their, um, their children, which is actually symbolically centering people around their immortality. Um, yeah, because, their progeny. Yeah, right. Uh, which I think is interesting. Um, because hosts would have no need to do that because they can live forever and they can just Um, recreate bodies and do whatever they want right there's no i mean a host has no reason to break down or or to die or get cancer or anything like that or get corona um (laughs) so back at delos um after charlotte has like that messy encounter with her husband or ex-husband uh charlotte finds out that there's a mole at delos so someone facilitated Ciroc being able to buy them out, right? And so Charlotte's like, I have to go tell the boss lady. Um, and so she calls Dolores and like very frantically is like, I need to see you right now. Um, again, self-harming, like it, it's a lot. <laughs> um, and so they meet at a restaurant or like a bar and the architecture stunning. I kept thinking of you. Yeah, like, it's a totally beautiful world setting. Yeah, I feel like I know they were at um, the Hotel Indigo in the f- season premiere of um, Westworld, and that's an amazing hotel here in Los Angeles. And it definitely, it definitely has all these like really futuristic vibes to it. So I they shot a lot of this episode actually in um, Singapore and in yeah. Spain. Yeah. Um, and you can see it from the architecture. Um, it's, it's just really stunning. But, yeah. I love it. Um, but that's their, that's like kind of how they envision a future Los Angeles, right. A future like Metro area. And so they meet at this bar and Dolores is kind of trying to calm her down and tells her like, you can't just call me whenever like you need to like, like pretty much is like, dude, I'm not at your beck and call. And then Charlotte, you know, before telling her that there's a mole or that Ciroc is the name that she has, like, she's like, I'm just not doing well. Like, I'm freaking out. And she starts digging into her, um, 
her wrist and hurting herself. So Dolores turns off her emotional receptors and says, like, let's go talk somewhere else. Um, so that lets us know that Dolores has some control over these hosts, um, which has very, for me, larger implications for the entire series. So, like, that explains why Bernard keeps questioning his sanity and his freedom, right? Yeah. So I hadn't realized until that moment that Dolores has kind of the same powers that Maeve has. And then I was like, wait, is Maeve in Dolores's head and Dolores is in Charlotte's head, which is not a fun like road to go down. Um, but somehow Dol- Dolores has somehow acquired the, I can tell you what to do chip. Yeah, I mean, and maybe she screwed with the pearls when she put them in these bodies to, like, have that safety measure. Right. Um, Charlie, so- uh, I'm sorry. Dolores always, right now, seems to be one step ahead of people. And it's these instances like Charlotte and whoever it is in her body, um, like, not going apart to her plan that she worries about. Caleb is a is when we'll get there maybe another pawn in her chess game and then the thing that really unsettles her is that she thinks she's smarter than everyone her her hubris will ultimately be her downfall like with so many other narratives because she will she is it the narrative that she can't think creatively like humans can to be one step ahead or or where are they going to go with it right um and I guess, like, my question is, if we're supposed to view Dolores as some extension of, like, and again, this is Dolores pitted versus Maeve, um, if we're supposed to view Dolores as, like, traditional power and power structure and Maeve as, a like, a reimagining of power, um, I, I don't know yet. Um, yeah. So I'm still team Dolores, uh, tentatively for now i love dolores um, i thought it was a great episode for her yeah um especially her roles with her and caleb evan rachel wood and um whatever the other guy's name is from breaking bad um aaron paul aaron paul are they're they have great scenes together they're amazing actors the scene they on the quite, pier they have quite a bit of chemistry yeah um so we do get a beautiful shot of like Dolores after Charlotte says, um, we've been bought out, there's a mole. Um, Dolores tells a role, you need to get back into physical shape and like snap out of it because I need you to kill the mole. Um, but then they kind of snugs in bed. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like a yin and yang. Um, so like if you remember last episode, I commented that Dolores was always in black and Maeve was always in white. Very similar here. You've got Dolores in black. You've got Charlotte in white. Um, I do think we're supposed to kind of, which means it might be false narrative that I'm following, but we're supposed to see them as opposites. So obviously Charlotte is having a difficult time, um, not just accepting who she is, but like carrying the weight of like this host rebellion on her shoulders versus Dolores was like, let's do it. Yeah. Um, but coming back to Caleb, who I agree, um, Aaron Paul has really good um, like chemistry with um, Evan Rachel Wood. Um, so he comes into some trouble. Yep. And Dolores sends a robot to help him out. And then she's like, let's go have breakfast. 
Yeah, and she ultimately has to save him. She does, yeah. But tell me what happens at this breakfast. So, she, like with everything Dolores does, she has it planned out, right? And what she's trying to do is get someone like Caleb on her on her side, right? And so she goes to this breakfast um, with Caleb, who she knows doesn't have anything because she knows how to read the scores of which these companies are reading and all these things which she alludes to. Right, she can immediately read the predictive and pass data on a person within seconds and compile who you are. Yeah, because that's where the world that she's trying to disrupt and stop is headed. And she wants Caleb to kind of, she almost like wants to have that come to Jesus moment with him where he opens his eyes and is like, oh, this is the world in which we're all living in, right? It's keeping me in this certain economic space. It's trying to kill me or set me up for ultimately what she does talk to him about is, you know, his fate, right? And so she goes back and lets basically Caleb in on all the secrets. And she basically says, you know, the human world has been monitoring um, humans for decades to like almost create a complete composite of every human on earth in like then the reverse in the virtual world. So they can have almost two worlds running to see where people end up or where they go. And, you know, this predictive data that they have being able to predict their future um, is scary. And she uses Caleb's fears specifically on the details about his mother's abandonment, which no one really knew about. Uh, um, And then, she ultimately knows like who he is because of what he's ordered in the past and what he will order in the future. The burger and chocolate shake from when his mother abandoned him. Sorry, strawberry shake when his mother abandoned him at the cafe. And he's really angry, but he's more angry because like he's understanding that there's something that he doesn't get here. Right. And then she really lets him into all the secrets because she... Well, because, like, honestly, like, John, if you came into my room right now, um, sat down and were like, let me tell you, 10 minutes from now, when you log off this call, you're going to go downstairs, you're going to drink a Capri Sun, then you're going to drink a second one because one's never enough, then you're going to sit down and watch two episodes of Golden Girls, go outside uh, with the dogs, smoke a cigarette, though you shouldn't, and then call it a night, I'd be like, whoa. Wait, but by what? me telling you that, does that change your action? Well, I mean, that's a philosophical question that... Um, and that's what Dolores think, is trying to pose to Caleb. Well, to pose to Caleb, but also um, one that I think um, theologians often struggle with in regards to their concept of God. So we've talked about this before in in quite a bit of our shows that there's kind of these like um, central models for understanding God that humans have, right? Like there's a passive God, there's a puppeteer God, there's the benevolent God. um, And so Carol Baskin's God, there's the Carol Baskin's God. um, But there's uh, different theologies within kind of all mainframe religion um, have a, some some have theologies where like everything is predestined, right? And like um, everything's happening as it's supposed to happen. It, it was meant to happen. Like you have very little kind of say in it. Um, versus, you know, other uh, kind of ways of thought, which is you know we have free will and this and like our lives are constant like moments in time where we make decisions and like our goodness is based off of that 
momentary decision, like the future is wide open based off of like every single day, right? Um, so I think what the show's asking is if you like, if you knew that um, that you were being pushed in a certain direction. So like what we understand that the system and um, the system's actual name is Robom is doing is it's compiling data, right? Both predictive data um, and, and, and past data into uh, like a mimic of, of what you'll do and then pushing you in one way or another based off of the compiled data that they have therefore writing the future so that would be like saying that let's use facebook as the common example facebook spends the last 10 years collecting data on how i behave right and facebook with that data is able to predict both forward and backwards how i act right and so let's just say something in the data says that when I turn like 45, I'm gonna kill Brent, my husband, dip him in sardine oil and feed him to tigers, right? Mm -hmm. So if the data points to that, the system, Robom, would push me in different directions uh, based off of like outside triggers, right? So that I don't become the serial killer based off of what I was kind of marching towards, which means that you don't actually have a choice in how you end up. The system decides what it lets you become or not become. That would be really terrifying. And that is 100% plausible, even with the technology that we have today, right? Um, so, so I understand why he's angry and I understand why she tells him uh, and, and brings him into this core inner circle and it's because like she feels like she can relate mm -hmm. to him because she also was like in a cage unable to kind of decide which way her life was going was she a tiger in a cage i mean we can only hope um, she's more of a panther she's more of a panther um interestingly enough she lets him know she takes him out to the pier outside of the i love this scene and says, do you know where we're at, right? And he's like, no. And like, she's like, this is where you kill yourself. Like 30 days from now, something like that, right? Yeah, and he's 12 like, years from now. She basically says something like, in right. 10 years from now or something like that. This is where you die. And he's like, uh, no. And she's like, uh, yeah, because the data says so. And from what I can tell, the system does not intend to stop you from doing it, right? And like, when she, she goes, based off your mental health, the predictive data we have, and everything that they are putting like and setting up in your way, this is exactly where you'll end up and this is where you'll kill yourself. And something about that has to ring true to Caleb, right? Because she's like, she's like very like, this is this is it, this is where you die. And he's like, so why are you telling me? Which is when she says, I feel some sort of kinship in that we both were caged and told what to do. And then she lets us in that when he saved her, it went against the predictive data. So the data pointed to someone like Caleb running into her in that, un, like in that dark alleyway bridge, not prioritizing Dolores and looking out for himself because he has his mom to take care of. He, he doesn't owe it to anyone. And somehow he made the choice against the, the, the data 
to say to save Dolores or to make that effort, which surprised her, which goes back to the first episode where you and I talked that Caleb is the first person that um, Dolores that Dolores has met that is not rich and privileged and actually may potentially have empathy. Right. So that empathy yeah. is what drew her to him. Um, and when Caleb's like, so what are you going to do? And she's like, I'm going to start a motherfucking revolution. Yeah. I love that. Um, which she's, lays down again, the groundwork now going forward. Because if she, she can him, get him, she can also get him to almost be like, you know, she can get him to go spread the good word about the gospel of Dolores and who's starting this revolution. Cause well, Caleb I, is like an everyman. I actually thought this was very much uh, a disciple moment. Because he's when he says, what are you going to do? And she's like, I'm starting a revolution. I'm going to cut the fucking cord to this system and show the world what's happening. And, like, that is very similar to, like, Jesus rolling up on Mary Magdalene and being like, yo, I totally just reset the system. Go tell the people. Yeah. Uh, and no matter how much uh, the system has tried to silence it, the first person to ever say it was Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Caleb says, you know, I think the reason I stopped for you is because you're like the first real thing that has happened to me in a very long time, which I thought was a really corny line. I don't think it was necessary. Um, But then she tells him to prepare for a fight. And he goes, I'm ready. Like, at least now I get to decide who I'm, who I am in this fight, like who I want to be. So that is, I think, the foundation for the rest of the season, which is Dolores and co versus Ciroc, uh and Robe on the system. Where Maeve falls into that, I have no idea. Where Charlotte falls into that, I have no idea. Because talk us through the last scene of this episode. Yeah, so we go back to Charlotte and she's re-watching for the millionth time this video of real Charlotte actually saying goodbye to her son um, at the end of the first season when the massacre happened at the board meeting dinner, when Dolores killed um, Ford and kind of all the hosts rebelled and killed all the board members. Right. And um, Charlotte was still Charlotte at that point. She's real Charlotte in season two up until the last episode. Um, But she really has this like come to Jesus moment um, before her death that everything she was really doing was pointless. um, And compared to tucking in her son and just like, loving him and singing him a song and it's you are my sunshine um and in understanding that she tries to get to the humanity that she can't get to because she's not charlotte hale the actual charlotte hale but she's playing a point or a version of her and so she there's some version of her that she either unlocks or that she's now going to play the performance of that um and ultimately the last scene is that she is leaving to go back home and she finally uncovers that the secret to this voicemail that she keeps getting from the mole or from a Ciroc actually himself, as we find out, um, is kind of like a, a, a dial tone version of you are my sunshine. And it calls a number and she says, I want to meet, she's going to go meet Ciroc. Um, 
And uh, basically what she finds out in walking into this scenario, um, she puts on those fancy glasses because uh, they're Which really, made me wonder, is he even real or is he an algorithm? He's not real. I think what he is, is those glasses are like viewports or something like that to where he I actually is. I think so is. too. Like, yeah, he's I don't not think, there. I don't think because, he actually exists. I think he's he's the system personified yeah maybe Uh and maybe the system has gotten so smart that like it's like the matrix now you know what i mean i think these and maybe charlotte or and dolores ultimately is going to be fighting like the matrix you know or maybe there's an evolution past post right yeah like the the hosts still need a body to to exist in for now so the shedding of a body would be the next evolution for AI. Um, so it's interesting to kind of think of what's being set up. Yeah. And what we ultimately find out is that the mole was Charlotte, the original Charlotte original the whole Charlotte. time. And yeah. that that's why this Charlotte doesn't understand what's going on. And so she has it's to like, like kind that of TikTok. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't um, understand. But yeah. I have to tell you though, that like when he's like, I want all of Delos's dirty secrets now. It was like, who wrote this like drag queen of a line? It is so bad. Well, he's French, so like no one at that level of like villainous is gonna be like, I want dirty secrets. No, bro, you want the data. Like, yeah. I don't know who wrote that line, but it literally pulled me out of the show and I was like, oh no. Yeah. Basically, Charlotte tries to like tiptoe around the fact of not alluding She's that figuring she- everything out in the second. In the second, and she doesn't want yeah. him to know that she's not Charlotte, and that she's like, it's going to take me some time to get all these things that he wants. And then, um, basically, what he says to Rock, you know, after I don't think he knows, maybe he does, maybe he's smarter than everyone. Well, he says because she says you like everything, all the encrypted data on the host was lost in the massacre, and he's like, well, yeah, I predicted that, and you said you would smuggle it out. And I told you it wouldn't work. And she's like, yeah, well, I guess it didn't work. Um, which means that the system works very, very well because it predicted the massacre inside of um, Westworld. And he's, he's like, but, but I already figured out the coordinates and the inscription. They're inside of a host named Dolores. And Charlotte's like, well, I guess you've got this figured out. <laughs> yeah, got, guess you got this figured out. And I need a little bit more time. And he lets her know that she has very little time left. Yeah. And he goes away and the episode ends. And we all realize that sage old saying, you in danger, girl. You in danger, Charlotte. Um, you in danger, girl. Yeah. So it's not surprising that the original Charlotte was the mole. Um I, f- uh, I predicted that. I, f- I saw that coming. Yeah, that, I feel like that we could see coming. Um, and again, this is layer upon layer upon layer of the question, who am I, in an episode, which feels exhausting. Um, like, I will say, I think this is a great episode. I think it is an exhausting episode. Um, but so is asking yourself the question, who am I, right? Yeah, so it almost feels myself like- every day. Right. <laughs> Right. Um, as we all look in the mirror and don't recognize ourselves right now. Um, but fundamentally, I think this episode is setting us forth even more than the second one of like, here's the, the broader fight. Um, where Charlotte and Maeve fall into it, I have no idea. Where Bernard falls, falls into all of this, I have no idea. And what's Ciroc's role with Maeve? You know what I mean? It's kind of like, right. what and, role is and, she supposed to play? And am I supposed to root? first hurrah right like 
do I root for a future where you could prevent mass murderers and you could potentially make the world a better place? Sure, but I have yet to meet humans in power who ever actually try to do that. Um, so, so I, like, it's hard to know who you're rooting for in the show. Overarchingly, I think we're supposed to feel very human when we're watching. Not identifying with any of these people, but identifying with the anxiety that Caleb feels when he figures out that nothing about his experience is unique or unwritten. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how scary it feels to not know what the universe knows about you. And like, we've been told that for the last like 15 years, like you and I are part of the last generation that remembers before the internet. But I mean, for for pretty much our entire lives, we've been told like, whatever you do on the internet, like the whole world can figure it out. Like your imprint is left. Um, so I, I think as a, as the, I think the showrunners really do want us to identify not with these characters, but as a human. And like, almost like a call to action to humans that like, if we don't get some control over the um, the way our technology is developing, this is an inevitable future. Yeah. It's a great so episode. That's the episode. That's the episode, folks. That's the episode. I'm going to go watch some more episodes of Tiger King. Uh I'm loving this season. It's probably one of their best. I mean, season two was a little bit of a hot mess um, and it lost a lot of people. And I think they realized that from a creative standpoint because season one was had a beginning, middle, kind of like, oh shit, the middle's been the beginning the whole time and the right. end is actually where we're at. Um, and I think with season three, they're really getting there. I mean, Lisa Joy and I can't remember the other guy who created the show I think are purposely putting this puzzle together and doing it very skillfully this season. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's working. At least it's working for me. Um, So, so I think a lot of this is going to depend on how they start to bring all these kind of um, separate narratives together. Right. So like, I need, I need to kind of, not that like I need it simplified, but I need to know, who's up against two, right? So the big question, I guess, would be Bernard. Like, where does Bernard fit in all of this? And then um, Maeve and whether or not she has a choice as to whether or not to help Sirach, um, and where she herself as an individual kind of falls. Yeah. Um, I'm calling it right now. I think Sirach is the person that we're seeing is at, is the personification of Rolhobin or whatever that computer system is. I agree. I, I, I will call it with you. Um, I think he's, Sirach is a generation, like a generative of all of that data into one being. He's almost like godlike because if he knows that's, where yeah, everyone, that's 100% it. if ev- he knows where everyone's lives are going to turn up, you know what I mean? Yep. I love it. Such a great episode. Well, John, then I'll see you next week. See ya. See ya.